your big toe. If you can wiggle your big toe, you'll be okay. <laughs> and that's usually what helps me pull out of it. But that that is the scariest, scariest thing. Oh, definitely. So anyways, it's Saturday night, Hello. which everyone knows what that means. It's another episode of Spilling Ink. We are the talk show that takes you behind the book to meet the authors and professionals in the publishing industry. Hey, Rebecca. And uh, we've got a brand new author to introduce you to. And I love when we get to bring new to us and new to you authors on because it gives us more perspective. It gives us another book to add to our TBR pile. And of course, who doesn't have a huge TBR pile as it is? <laughs> Never wanting for things to read, always, always want, or actually always wanting for things to read, never having enough time for it, I think is the, the problem. Yes, <laughs> always. <laughs> well, anyway, so before we jump right in, let's hear a word from our sponsor, and then Damien will give you the floor after that so you can tell us all about your awesome books. Sounds good. All right. Hello, everybody. I am Joe Compton, and welcome to our channel, Go Indie Now. This is the place that celebrates indie artists and indie art. And we do so by producing several shows that either air on daily, weekly, monthly, or seasonal scheduling. And within those shows, we aim to educate and entertain you. If you're, if you're an indie artist who's trying to figure out how to do this, this is the place you need to be. If you're an indie artist who's looking to promote and doesn't have any avenues and, and is tired of the grind, this is the place to be. Because remember, it's always time to go and eat out. That's right. Always time to go indie now. And speaking of indies, new indie author, Damien, tell us about yourself. Hi. So, um, yeah, thanks for having me on, Katie and, and others. So you've probably already heard my accent. I'm not one of the U.S. authors. I'm over here in the U.K. So it's currently just coming past 1am um, for me here. So if I start yawning or look sleepy, that's why it's not that I'm bored. It's just very early Sunday morning for me. So um, don't really know what to, to tell you. So I'm the author of the Oakable Chronicles, um, a series of fantasy books that take um, generally the, the average man in the street, the, the Joe Nobody, and throws them into situations they just shouldn't um, be exposed to normally and it takes you through how they deal with it leading through to the underlying darkness that's really um leading to them all there's a, a thread that goes through them all but i won't go into too much about that now so what uh what age group are your books targeted at so it's they're quite dark in places they're probably uh, more adults than i always describe them as kind of epic dark fantasy so they're not your your young author there's no kind of coming of age story in them so it is they're quite dark in places. They deal with quite um, difficult topics. So there's kind of alcoholism in there. There's depression. There's there's a lot of different aspects to them as as well as the typical kind of fantasy type that you, you, you get within fantasy novels. I love that. And did you notice the minute you said that these are really dark, both me and Jane are like, yes, yes, we're here for the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think for us, the darker, the better. And actually, we've got a special treat for all of our audience out there. Damien yes. shared with us his trailer for the book. So we're going to play that now. And I think you guys are going to be impressed. I love that. I like the coming of age story. <laughs> well said, Rebecca. Well said. I like that. But we do. We 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 tend that I can talk really. We tend to lean towards the darker things. I think. I think so. For me personally, writing was always a way to deal with those some of the issues and things in the past. It was a good escapism and, and way to process that. That's by putting the characters through it basically rather than me having to man up and deal with it myself yeah yeah it absolutely is and and you've got to you've got to throw your characters into the maelstrom you've got to you know 
really make them grow through the pain and the strife. I think that that's what makes a book series really interesting is watching that character, you know, not always win. Sometimes they fall down, but they get back up. They try again. They learn from what happened before. Yeah. And, and in a way, too, I think, and Jane, we've talked about this before, it's catharsis. Sometimes mm -hmm. we take our aggression out mm -hmm. on characters and it's oh, yeah. helpful for us as the author to be able to, to exercise the demons, so to speak. You know, yeah. I, I, I was sitting, I mean, this week I was sitting here writing the next scene. I'm like, okay, what, what kind of crap can I throw at my characters now? <laughs> what, what kind of devious, awful things that, you know, do they have to encounter to get through? <laughs> Now, I don't know if you can see it or not, but we've got Darian saying hello from a very proud father. <laughs> Aww, stayed up late just to dial into this That's heartwarming. I love that. I love that. I love when parents show support for their children, especially when it's the adult children, too, because the, the little ones, they always need that pat on the head. But you know what? The adults do, too. Yeah, we my, need to hear that we're doing good. It's always nice. My dad, every now and then, will pop in, too. So... <laughs> Now, has he read all of your books? He's got them all. He's not much of a reader, to be honest, but he's got them. So that's that's a start. He's one of the, the first purchases. So, Oh, I love Aww. that. They'll get around to it eventually. I, yeah. I was joking with my oldest daughter. So I have, I've got a teenager and then I've got also littles. And I was joking with my daughter this week. Um, she's got a boyfriend who's an artist. And you know how artists are, just like creatives, like with, with writing, we do something, we make something, we want everyone to see it, we want everyone to appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And over the years, I've even written a book series specifically towards teenagers, and my daughter has never read it. <laughs> and she was sitting there talking to me about, I know, I always have to tell him he's doing good, talking about her boyfriend, and everything he paints is wonderful, and I love it. And I'm like, that's right. That's payback for all the times you never appreciated the books I wrote. And she's like, damn it, mom, you're right. It's close to you, isn't it, though? Especially when you're doing a, a work in progress where they read the same chapter like six times where you've tweaked it and re-edited it. And it's like, I've written this bit, try this. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and yeah. God bless the ones that do, that, that really sit oh, through it. I know we've yep. talked about beta readers in the past and the ones that we trust and, and why they're so important because Rebecca. you do need that reader <laughs> feedback. And sometimes you do need that, that reader that's going to go, uh-uh, you didn't do this right. Mm -hmm. right. Fix it. Yep. There is. There's a guy that um, my fourth book's going through beta reading at the moment ahead of the, the publication in August. And there's one guy that I always go to because he just will not pull his punches. If there's something he doesn't think's right in there, he will, yeah, he will tell you. And he's he really focuses on the details. There's one part that I... I referenced the wrong type of stone at one point to me. I hadn't even registered it. It was a cobblestone. I selected a type of granite or something. And he's like, That's, that wouldn't work. That is too soft. And he literally gave me this whole explanation of why I was wrong, which is exactly what you want. Yes, yes. That that tough love that you're going to get it right because it's, it's going to be right. I would rather hear it from a beta reader than yes. get it in a public review down right. the line. Right. Exactly. And I, and I have gotten questions from my beta readers. Katie <laughs> and Rebecca. <laughs> so, you know, it helps. It helps. It, it does. I, it I makes... had a new one on the, on the last series I wrote because she hadn't had any um, introduction to any of my um, Ryan Chronicles books. So she didn't know the characters. And I wanted somebody who didn't know the characters because I was introducing these people in the book and I wanted to make sure it was properly introduced so, so that they wouldn't be completely lost. And I'm like, I got to have somebody who hasn't read my seri other series to do this. <laughs> so, you know, that, that was tough to find, <laughs> um, you know, of, of the authors that I trust. <laughs> so, <laughs> but she did a wonderful job, so. <laughs> and and the, the beta readers too, they, just like you said, with the, the stones, they make you go back and do your research. Yes. And we've harped on this before, that if you're not doing your research and you're not getting the details right, mm -hmm. um, it's going to come out. And again, you'd rather hear it from your beta reader than from a public reviewer later. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jane, you deserve everything I throw at you, says Rebecca. You killed that entire family right after I met them. Well, I had a bad day at work. I'm sorry. 
<laughs> so let's talk about that. Let's talk about how we exercise our demons through writing and, and how it, it does actually help us kind of work through problems. It's kind of a therapy in a way um, where, you know, if we can exercise the, the anger and the angst and the aggression out on the page, we're actually a lot calmer and, and less likely to do that in person. <laughs> So, so what what things have you worked through in your writing, Damien? So for me, personally, when I was kind of early teens, so 17, 18 years old, um, my home family life fell apart and I ended up kind of surfer, surfing on people's sofas and staying with different friends for a while. And I ended up in a, a squat basically for a year or so um, and just, yeah, ended up very depressed, ended up drinking quite heavily during that period and ended up in a, a really bad place and I pushed away most of my friends and family and, and shut myself off from everyone and it was it was quite a dark period in my life and I had one friend that was in London who said to me at the time basically to to try writing down my thoughts to make sense of everything that I was going through and the way that I'd been with my mother and, and everything that happened there and I just couldn't do it it was just too hard for me to um to get out basically I just couldn't do it physically putting me in that position and that's when I then invented my first character so he's a character that appears in the third book basically mm -hmm. and I invented him and put him through some of the stuff I was going through so he dealt with drinking too much he dealt with losing his family he dealt with kind of um lots of those different things and that was what enabled me to overcome that and then be able to process that and move past it I couldn't do it I was completely blocked and stuck well it really into that my character got through it and by seeing how he did it, gave me that path to follow. Um, and then there's other things I've done through some kind of breakups that have gone in there. I guess the typical one that almost everyone must have done it at some point and the hardships you go through with that and just general depression and anxiety. So I, my moods have fluctuated over the years and it tends to be when I'm feeling more down, I'm more able to be creative and write um, more so than when I'm actually happy. So it's a mixed blessing when I'm feeling really happy my writing tends to go a bit quiet, so. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. You are able to write when you're feeling the drama more. I think a, a lot of creatives, they they really sit just above the surface of all the emotions. And uh, being able to tap into them is the skill that gives us the ability to write this and to yeah. make other people feel it through mm. reading our stories. Right. And, and, and bringing, you know, some of the you know, realities of life into your fiction, it's tough. It's tough to live it, you know, through the page um, <laughs> again. <laughs> so, but it's, but it's, a, as you say, a way to work through it. So that's all. Yeah, awesome. and, and Jane, when you're having a bad day, instead of killing your coworkers, you just kill a few people on the page and yeah. all well. Yes, <laughs> I could go back and smile. <laughs> and using the uh, the romantic drama. I mean, come on, we all understand romantic drama. And I yeah. think people eat that stuff up. They love the problems that happen that break people up or bring people together. I think it's going to be cool to relate to that. It's something that most people go through at some point in their life. It's, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and that, again, it makes people connect more with your stories. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so now how long have you been working on these uh these books because you're up to what was it book five book four is coming out at the end of august so that will be lucian's voyage and then i've started work on a fifth one but that's very very early kind of work in progress only about two three thousand words into that one so it's kind oh. of a high concept and researching stage but uh, yeah oh. i started writing oh blimey probably back in 2008 so okay. weirdly the third book in the series um a winter's yeah. child is the first book that i wrote so i wrote it in um, I, i'm dyslexic as well so when i wrote it it was almost unreadable to be honest i wrote it purely for me and mm -hmm. um i had friends who helped me edit it and go through that process but it's it wasn't at the point that it was ready for people to read but it doing writing creating that book sparked up the world of, of open and Valadvar and I wrote that initial book and then I wrote a couple of other short stories just for, again for myself, my own enjoyment. And then I published Dragon's Blight in 2013 and that was kind of the first success, successful book. Mm -hmm. And off the back of that, I've then um, created the Beautiful Chronicle series. So it's been, 
yeah, period of <laughs> about how long does it take you to to write each book? Because you said that you're dyslexic, so that's gonna make the writing part of it probably. Uh, actually, no, that shouldn't make the writing part of it. It should make the editing part of it harder. But the just the word spewing get the story from the brain to the page. That should so, be fairly quick in comparison. It is. It's that part's relatively quick once I sit down to do it. So I I know some authors can kind of bring out four or five books a year. I'm that's not something I can do because I I don't write stories with a, a particular plan in mind. I have the characters and I, they almost, I say, it's like having a world inside my mind. The characters just live there and they're doing their own thing and I need to wait for them to do something. And then once that story starts happening and there's a journey for them going on, I just go with them on that. So um, I tend to write one about every two years, but that seems to be speeding up okay. recently. So I, okay, the fourth book I started last year it's coming out this August, so I expect the fifth one to come out sometime next year. Yeah, it sounds like you're more pantser than plotter, if I'm correct, yeah, right? Definitely, yeah, I am. I definitely go on the journey with them. I don't. I have a, a rough idea where they're going, but yeah, the characters normally end up. Whatever my plan is, they will go somewhere completely different. So I, I gave up on that. Yep, yep, that's the way it works. We can we can try. It's just like with children. We can try and, and do the right thing and get them where they're supposed to go. They will have us veering left and right and just you never know where you're going to end up. Right. But that's, that's part of the fun. And, and I think for a lot of us pantser authors, that's what keeps it interesting while we're writing is we're experiencing everything as, as, you know, through the eyes of the character. It's fresh. It's new. We don't know what's going to happen when they turn that corner. You have an idea. Of where you want them to end, but are you right or are you wrong? There's right. the question. You still exactly. don't know exactly. So, so yeah, I'm I'm more of a pantser too. So, <laughs> all right, we got a question from Rebecca here, and she says, "What or who is your favorite character from the books that you've created?" So for me, it's um, Fintan Flynn. So he's uh, an elf from the Alien Isle. Um, he's quite delicate and soft and gentle, but he then gets kind of dragged along with with Darcy in Dragon's Bite on the adventure that he goes on. And he's reluctant to do it and he's quite shy and bashful. And it's that kind of being kind of shy and not wanting to put himself forward, but being the centre of attention and how he deals with that is what I think makes him quite endearing. Um, and I've had a couple of feedback from fans that him and Aaron um, are the seem to be the fans' favourite character as well. So it's, it's uh, yeah. There was a request that he makes a, a comeback in the fourth book. So, nice. Oh, I love that. Especially when fans tell you that they have a, a particular character that's a favorite mm-hmm. and that you have to bring back. You have to find new ways to include them in the story, <laughs> even if their original storyline is done. You have to bring them back. I had the, the beta readers that are reading it at the moment, um, but they, they haven't got too far into it yet but they're like if you kill off Fintan in this book we're finding you so <laughs> that's some passionate readers I love that yeah, I'd be in trouble, <laughs> be in trouble. <laughs> you're already in trouble Jane you're already in trouble <laughs> I, I have a morbid sense of of writing, I guess. <laughs> yeah, she she'll send me a, a book to beta read, and she's like, "So let me know when you're done. It's gonna be interesting at the end, and that means some, somebody's gonna die that I don't want to yeah. die." <laughs> yeah. Uh, Melanie says she threatens me regularly. <laughs> yeah, I think um, when the first series I wrote, uh, book three was Pandora's Box, mm-hmm. and. I made a decision to kill off of a specific character that I knew was going to hurt. And I've had readers really, really lash out at me for that one. And there was a purpose to it. I needed that character to die because that death motivates another character through the rest of the series. And so it had to hurt. And, And eventually they forgive me after they finish the series. But I can always tell once they've hit book three, they're like, I'm never reading your books again. I hate you. Why did you do that? <laughs> Melanie says, <laughs> I wanted to kill her and throw things. <laughs> I've gotten yeah. a lot nicer in my old age. I don't kill as, as much as I used to, but it still hurts just as much when I kill them. Yeah. Have you ever been, you've been writing, had a character die that you weren't expecting to? So I've had that in one of my life writing and then the next day I knew they were dead and I'm just, or how about a character you have to bring back from the dead 
because the story, the character you have to bring back from the dead because you planned for them to die. And by the time you got to the end of the story, nope, that would not work. I can't kill them. They have to live. And then you have to rewrite parts of the story so that that thread is erased. No, I just, once it happened, I was like, oh, Oh no! What are we gonna do with this? And I'm like, oh well, that would that would be an interesting twist now that he's gone. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we got another question for Rebecca, Damien. How many of your characters do you kill? So there's a couple. There's a few. It's not um, it's not kind of your Game of Thrones where thousands of people die. There's there's a few that die, but it's all there's generally a reason for it or, or something happens that causes it. So it's, it's, it's a rarity in the journey, but they do happen um, sporadically throughout. Mm. So I'm kind of answering that without answering it. So I don't want to give too much away. Yeah, no, no spoilers. Mm. I, I did like that, that in Game of Thrones specifically, there was that element of you never knew if any mm. character was truly safe or not. And that I think worked very well for the author to mm. consistently create intrigue because it didn't matter if character was good or bad, they could die equally. It didn't mm -hmm. matter if they were working for, you know, the righteous reasons or if they were working for their own selfishness, they could die. Little kids, older, you know, adults, it didn't matter. Everyone's head was on the chopping block mm -hmm. at any point in time. And it, right. it's, it's that constant state of, oh my God, what's gonna happen next? And then of course you never finished writing the damn books. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, I, I, I mean, um, the Divergent series ended in in a surprise. Oh, I was so it. mad at that one. I didn't like that I, one. I was like, I gave the author props for doing that because that took a lot of guts to do. And as you thought about it, it really was the only way to end that. No. I know. It, no. It, <laughs> but we can have our difference of opinion. Yeah. I, I was so mad. I was so mad when I got to that. No, nope. I was a little, I was a little upset. A little upset, but I'm like, okay. Well, you know, what could have happened differently, and would that have ruined the story? I think she could have worked it around a little better. Mm -mm. I yeah, think so, she could. Sorry if the dog starts barking. He's running back and forth between the two doors. <laughs> are you puppy sitting again? Um, well, Billy and Steph are up here. My my son's up here, but he's not joining us because he's with his girlfriend. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh, I see how it is. Yes, he's he's in the other room. <laughs> All right, we got another question from the audience. Jenna says, "Ever think about killing a character and then change your mind and kill someone? Uh, kill someone off instead?" So I haven't. I, as I say, I tend to go on the journey with them, and I, I almost see myself as just recording what's happened. It's, I'm not the writer that's creating the story. I'm just documenting what goes on in open Openfall. So if if someone's going to die, then that's what happened. I just record it. Um, as as you said before, it can sometimes be a real pain for the story. So I had a plan where I was going, and then the character that was going to be going on that journey is no longer that takes it. So it's like great. I now need to figure out how we get there now so you then have to to switch to, to someone else or to to find something a different route to where you're planning to go to see what happens um so yeah no i don't personally if someone dies i, I don't change it i just i just go with it um, yeah i haven't done that i haven't killed anyone else off instead so that mm, i have changed my mind and not killed some not killed something <laughs> i'll say something because my co-author said absolutely not i have a rule <laughs> <laughs> so you're not killing them just to watch them die i dig it that's what yeah, rebecca yeah. says yes yeah we're not game of thrones it we're not just going to off everyone just for the shock mm -hmm. effect mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now you sent us a sample, um, an audio sample. Do you want to uh, to tell us a little bit about that before we share it? Sure. So um, I've been working with a uh, a guy called Alan Churton who's done the um, audio books. So we're working through bringing all of the books to have audible versions of them and audio books. So um, some people love the books and are able to read them. Other people reading isn't their forte. And they said, well, 
can we get the movie? It's like, oh, I'd love to. I would love to have the movie, but that's not realistic right now. Um, we found that the audiobook's a good way of doing that to still get the story to people that don't want to read. And Alan's done an amazing job. He's really added a, a great level of, of detail to the characters and the way he voices them. And he brings a, an extra level of, of realism to the story. So I've, I've listened to them back and I really enjoy them myself. I enjoy his presentation. And yeah, I can't praise him enough, to be honest. He's a, a really talented narrator. Um, so we've got the first Dragon's Bite is currently out. A Taylor's Son is being worked on at the moment and hopes that will be out again sometime August. Um, and then we'll continue working through the series to bring them all to Audible. All right, well, let's, let's jump right into it and let's listen to the sample. It had then become another war front for Oakenfall because the elves living there refused to allow the Hansen family to plunder its resources. These two islands were only a few miles out to sea and could have posed a real threat to Oakenfall. But they were held in check by the intervening waters. It was more a war of words, with no side actively seeking conflict. However, this could not be said for the third and perhaps most fierce enemy of Oakenfall's peace. Towards the western edge of northern Niska stood the northern mountains and western reaches, a place of poor soil, hard stone, and even hardier people. Niska as a continent was home to both civilised modern humans and nomadic barbarian tribes. One of these tribes had become known as the Poles because of their unique pole axis made from the abundant black iron in the mountains. Because they remained in small tribes and were habitually battling each other, the barbarians of Niska used to present little more than an inconvenience stealing from the odd trade caravan or pillaging a homestead. That was until around ten years ago, when something changed. The Poles began to grow in numbers, and before the Hansons truly understood the threat facing them, they had lost the city of Northholm. Northholm had once been part of the Hansen kingdom, and sat in the mouth of a natural harbour at the very northern tip of Niska. It had fallen to barbarian rule and now stood as a constant source of outrage to the royal court. The occupied city stood behind what was the most volatile battlefront which had been held at a stalemate for years. The war to keep the Poles at bay had lasted for almost a decade. The line drawn on the map in the Hansen Castle's war room, marking the battle lines, barely moved an inch per season back or forth over the small town of Briars Hill, a trek of only some days north of Oakenfall. To some hearing this, it seemed like all the north was in turmoil. But that was not true, and even within the chaos, pockets of peace were to be found. On the border between northern Niska and the free states of middle Niska were the Ashmore Mountains, whose rocky peaks hid a magnitude of tunnels that were home to several small collectives of dwarfs. The largest of these was the Goldhorn Kingdom that stretched for miles throughout the mountains. The peace they enjoyed was largely due to the fact that the dwarves had shut their mammoth gates and sealed themselves off from the topside world at the end of the Great War and opened them just rarely for trade. Adjacent to the snow-capped Ashmore Mountains and sitting between Handsome Kingdom and the Scorched Lands was the small and peaceful low-lying countryside known as the Tower Plains. Its views to the horizon were barely broken by the sight of a tree or bush. However, it had one shadow that was cast against the sky for miles, a magnificent tower. The tower was home to the magic-wielding mages of Niska. Magic was dangerous, and those blessed, or cursed with it, scared those without it. Although mages had been vital in the defeat of the dragons, during the so-called peace that followed the Great War, to avoid the fear and talk of witch-hunters, the mages had established their own place of learning, away from cultivated lands. The mages' tower looked out over the plains of the north, and they had the best view of the mysterious scorched lands. Those ash-cloud-covered lands that had been the front for the Great War were used by parents for scaring their children— and secretly still scared the parents in their own hearts. Few alive had seen the battles, but tales of the burnt bodies of thousands of men, the lost cities and the charred forests that fell for the freedom of man, haunted the dreams of many. 
It had been such an event in the world that it changed the very calendar that the civilized races used for tracking the years. Tonight was not just an anniversary, it was the turning of a century. This night marked 100 AB, the first century of freedom. And this is where our story starts, just beneath the fireworks. Watching from a white stone balcony in the noble district of Oakenfall, a lone figure stood. Nice. Okay, I like that. That was really good. And he's got a great voice. Yes, oh, what a great narrator. Yeah, I do love him as a narrator. When you're auditioning different narrators, as soon as I heard him, I kind of turned my girlfriend. It's like I found the narrator. It's like I don't care. Like this is the one we're going with because he's just yeah. yeah. He, he, it reminded me almost just kind of sitting on your granddad's knee and just having the book read to you. It's that kind of childhood glee that comes into you. Oh, there we go. Darian says, Damien, I'm not a great reader, but when your books come out on Audible, I'll be able to enjoy your stories. Love, Dad. Aww, yes. Oh, awesome. I love that. I love that. That is a, a good papa there. That is a very good father. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, back to the whole pat on the head. Good job. We all need it. We all need it. It, I love it's that. awesome listening to the to the reviews or the the book review or the book readings of your um, narrator when you're reviewing it and making sure it's correct. It's really humbling to realize you were the one who wrote those words, but you know they they made them come to life. But <laughs> how many <laughs> moments did you have where you're like, oh my god, I wrote that? Yep. <laughs> You definitely get you, and it's when he voices it, and it, uh, he voices one of the characters in there, Granny, who um, is kind of the caregiver to, to Darcy. And when he just started giving her the voice and character, she came alive, and it was it was literally like he'd read into my head and pulled out what she sounded like. And it's incredible how he managed to do that from just what was written down. And that was that was the pitch that he gave that actually made me fall kind of fall in love with Alan's work and decide to work with him because it's. He'd managed to, as I say, pull out the character from my mind in the book that just was incredible. Mm -hmm. That is awesome. So you went with um, Audible for your distribution on this one. I did, now, yeah. Are, are you, did you produce all the books yourselves or did you go through a small press? So originally I went for a small press. Um, so Dragon's Point was originally published for a small press and that was, um, it did relatively well, but it didn't earn enough of them to want to keep doing it. So we, we ended that um, relationship back in uh, about 2015, 2016, I guess, after a couple of years of working with them. And I then got the rights back to, to them myself. So this time around, I'm just doing them all myself. So we've um, set up Black Flag and we're, we're doing them all ourselves, which which comes with a lot of benefits and also a lot of additional risks and, and pitfalls to look out for. Oh, yeah. We, we've talked about that plenty of times that as an independent author, you are now not just the writer, you are the project manager and you have to control all of the production elements of your book from your editing to your cover art, to where you're gonna distribute, to what forms you're gonna distribute in, to your pricing. It's a lot of work and uh, it, it's, for the uninitiated, it's very overwhelming that first time you put a book out because there's so much that you have to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the marketing side is where I'm lacking. But the, the project management side for everything else, my day job is in project management. I'm a business analyst. I've been a project manager. So so juggling that piece does not bother me. <laughs> it's like, okay, how do I get in front of people now? <laughs> it's, what I was about to say. it's when you, you release that book, you don't realize you then have to learn how to market something, how to engage with, with things like this and yes. different marketing adverts and and radio reviews and how do you even do any of that you kind of release the book and expect people to find it but that right. if only it were that simple if yeah. only Let's just you know wave our little magic wand and <laughs> a little post hey guys it's live and then that's it no yeah. god no it's, it's a long drawn out painful process 
So speaking of painful processes, let's talk about how you learned and, and worked through all of your books. What uh, did you use the the small press as kind of your guidelines on what to do, or did you research everything? A lot of it was re uh, researching and networking. So the small press pretty much did everything for me. So they arranged. I had book signings and things that I went to. So I would literally show up, bring a pen with me, sit there, sign the books, and that's all I had to do. So I didn't have to do any of it. Um, when that ended, it was like, okay, so I've got the manuscript back now. What what do I do with it? So I had to, as you say, research. I reached out to Facebook groups and that's where the kind of the pitfalls come in. So there's lots of people. The minute I was like, I've got this manuscript, what do I do? There's almost 100 emails you get a day. We can publish it for you or we charge us this or we cost this. And it's like, well, that's the right thing to do. Do I just pay them to do that? Or, um, and luckily for me personally at the time, I didn't have the money to pay someone to do it or I may have fallen down that pitfall of yeah. paying a fantasy publisher and going that route. But I was quite fortunate that I didn't have the money. So I then kept digging to find a different way and realize you've got things like KDP that you can use and Barnes and Noble and different um, right. ways to do that yourself. Yes, absolutely. Oh, there's so many avenues out there. Do you, um, do you use draft to digital or publish drive? Um, Smashwords, I, I think is the other big aggregator. It is a draft to digital I've used. Um, obviously KDP is, is a big one. So I try not spreading it too thinly at the moment, just because, um, trying to, to think of the advertisement and the marketing while still working a full-time day job can be challenging so i want to keep it kind of one or two places and focus all of my effort on advertising that rather than spreading thinly and um marketing more broadly so it's with uh with that in mind then if you're using kdp did you enroll in unlimited i did i did make okay. the choice to do that so and that was a difficult choice to make because again when you're trying to research it's do we do unlimited don't we you get so much mixed feedback with some people saying no don't do it it's the worst thing ever and other people saying no do it it's it's the best way to get paid read and, and earn profit that way so it's it really is quite difficult to know what to do and honestly it's it's really dependent on the author and their book because some genres do work better in kindle unlimited i think mm -hmm. uh, romance we've talked about before tends to do extremely well in kindle unlimited uh, young adult tends to do really well in kindle unlimited but sci-fi and sometimes the epic fantasies, they tend to do better wider because right. you've got the uh, the people who, uh, iBooks and Kobo, different marketplaces. Um, mm -hmm. I know Kobo is a lot bigger in Europe, um, probably in the UK as well. And uh, iBooks, they tend to be across all the different markets. So if you just do Kindle Unlimited, you have to make the choice. Do I limit myself to only Amazon readers or do I go wide? What's going to be my audience? And and the beauty of having Kindle Unlimited is it's only a 90 day uh, mm -hmm. commitment. You yeah. can take it out if it doesn't work. But then just like you said, you've got to focus some more marketing on the wider aspects. Now, the beautiful thing with draft to digital is they provide you that single link page, which that is is one of the best resources for a lot of authors who are marketing wide is to get people to that landing page that has all of the different ways you can buy it. And I just learned this myself, even though it's been two years since they implemented it, learn something new every day. You can now add your audiobooks to that same book links page. So you can oh, have wow. your eBooks listed and your audiobooks listed on that single link. And that makes, again, the marketing a little mm. bit easier to work with. Mm. Yeah, I use Story Origin for my, you know, one, one link. Can't and, say and, enough good about them. Yes, yeah, and, and um, They've added audiobooks. I haven't figured that stuff out yet, but <laughs> I'm too busy right now. <laughs> now, let, let's bring that up. Have you utilized the networking sites that are meant to help build your newsletters? Because Story Origin, Prolific Works, Booksprout, I think is the other one. They're all basically the same type of service with different payment levels for membership. But they enable you to get in with other authors and do newsletter swaps and share promos and things like that. So I haven't used a website like that. I use, and I found people on kind of the Facebook groups who, um, they kind of act as a, a marketing manager, I guess. So we, we've mentioned Courtney before and the newsletter that she does. So that's kind of one of the main routes that I go through. I work quite closely with Courtney and getting um, to signing up to the, the subscriber list that she does and things like that. I found those really helpful because they're, they're quite focused on the particular topic. So I keep a constant eye out for any epic fantasy or 
or anything like that newsletter builders and use those um i must admit i'm not the best at doing the newsletters i don't tend to use them particularly for marketing they're more for just communicating with the fans and things like that rather than um i'm not particularly efficient so we see in that marketing side of things i'm aware of that it's something i do need to get better at you know follow courtney's advice um we we absolutely love courtney and um you'll find her every every month on joe's channel go indie now uh when we do the the monthly news she also does monthly uh little marketing tidbits and every single time and i've been in the business for a long time i still learn new things by listening to courtney's advice she is brilliant she knows what she's doing and she is an excellent resource, especially in your genre for marketing. She knows that area well. She really does. And she's one of the first first connections I made kind of when I started doing this myself. I was very fortunate, I think, to kind of stumble across her quite early. And I've made a lot of other authors that have sent me their work to read and review. I kind of pointed them towards Courtney to help that side of things because the services she offer really do make a big difference to, to the success you have. Yeah, and, and the other thing that Courtney does too is her prices are reasonable. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that will try and sell you all kinds of marketing and their prices are ridiculous. And an indie author who's already spent the money for the cover, already spent the money for the editing, already spent the money for the formatting, and is trying to do ads, there's not a lot of money left over. Mm -hmm. And indie authors sometimes end up pricing themselves out of the market because of that. But Courtney's prices, especially her newsletter builders, they are well within a price range we can afford. They do have results. They're worth it. So I, I always recommend her as well. She's one of my go-to sources when I have marketing questions too. Cool. Oh, um, no, uh, before we stop on that, Jane, I know you know the name, uh, the guy who runs the Amazon ads. You just had Brian Cohen. Yes. <laughs> yes. So another resource that I do tell yeah. people to go towards, and he runs it, I think, two or three times a year. Yeah. And um, it is a free how to do Amazon ads class. And it lasts an entire week. Yeah. And it's like a, a, an actual class. You have a reading assignment, you have homework, you have accountability by posting in the groups what you're doing, and you can show your results. And mm -hmm. him and his, uh, um, the members of the team that he's working with will tend to help you to tweak things a little better. You can get feedback and it's free. And you can do it multiple times. Yes. I'm, 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 I bought into the ads group. So I, I can take, you know, the, the series stuff and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, for, for indie authors on a budget, the free thing, it gives you an all, knowledge to work them and, and have them work for you. Yeah, and yeah. he runs it a few times a year. So yeah. if you miss, I think he's actually running it right now. Right. Yeah. Um, if you miss like the one that's happening now, there'll probably be another one in October. So by going and finding him and just liking his page, you'll get the update and he sends out the information well in advance to sign up and it's yep. free, a hundred percent free. No, uh, no trickery. No, and that's a lot of, you don't find mm -hmm. that anymore. Everybody's got mm -hmm. a system and they want to sell it to you yep. and it costs a crazy amount of money or crazy amount of commitment. This is something he does. He's already successful in everything else. This is something he does for the community. And that, I mean, that right there makes it worthwhile. You've got somebody who is, is really trying to help the community. And that's what's made indie authors mm -hmm. kind of, you know, wash away the stigma we used to have. I mean, it used mm -hmm. to be the scarlet letter to call yourself an indie author. Mm -hmm. And over the years, we've gotten better. We've gotten smarter. We've learned how to do what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And because of that, the quality of our books have gotten better. That's not and to say that there aren't a lot of scams out there and authors yeah. do fall prey to them. But it's part of the community's kind of, um, it's kind of our mission yeah. statement to help those who are new and, and make sure that they're not going to fall prey to it and spread the word about the real stuff that does help. And that's one of the biggest things to, to watch out for, I guess, in some of the Facebook groups and things. So the first thing I did is, is reach out and kind of do um, kind of book reviews or readers and try and find different groups to go to. Mm -hmm. And it's finding out the right groups to go into. Because so as I say, as soon as you put a question on there, you will get message after message and private message with people trying to sell you these solutions or um, even asking for like copies of your manuscript to read it and things like that to then run off of it. There's so many things to watch out for. It's important to make sure you make the right connections. Yes. 
Yeah, absolutely. And there it is. Um, Anita says the Brian Cohen five day ad challenge, and it is yeah. definitely worth it. Yeah. Uh, it will give you an education for sure. I learned so many things from that. And again, I've been in this business for a long time and I'm still learning new things every day. You will never stop learning. You will never stop improving. That's part of, of what makes being an indie great is we can constantly, you know, bring ourselves up to a new level. Mm -hmm. Oh, sorry, because oh, I think that's worth remembering as well. When when you get feedback from fans and things as well, it's, as an author, if you get a, a slightly negative review or a lower star review, they can be quite crippling or painful. But it's it's as you say, we're constantly learning and evolving and developing. So yes, your first book may may be a four star book or three star book, but your second book may be a four star and your third will be a five star. And it's that accepting that there are the feedback you get isn't necessarily bad. It's just something for you to build on and develop on as you progress through for your writing career. Oh, absolutely. And and if you can look at, at the reviews and find a nugget of truth in there to help you improve, that's wonderful. There's a lot of people that are just trolls and we have to learn to ignore the trolls. And we also have to remember that not every book is for everybody. And if you go look up your favorite book on Amazon or, or Goodreads, guaranteed somebody is going to hate the book that you absolutely mm -hmm. love. And so, you know, you kind of keep that in, in your brain. And anytime you get negative about a negative review that comes in, go do that. Go look at your favorite book and see people say negative things about stuff you love too. Right. Oh, it helps yeah. to kind of, you know, dampen it a little bit. And then if you go back and read and you say, you know what, they did make, you know, a good point here. I should do this. Then in your next book, do that. Mm -hmm. And that's how we improve. But I wanted kind of to touch on this because you'd mentioned this um, before we even started the show about some of the, the pitfalls that, that authors can fall prey to. Mm -hmm. um, specifically, you know, editors that uh, maybe aren't uh, as good as, as they should be or charging crazy yeah. editing rates mm -hmm. or marketing services that sell you a bunch of stuff you don't need. What yeah. have you run into in your experience? So I guess the first one is, you say, the editor. So being dyslexic, I do rely quite heavily on my editor to find where I've used the wrong word or wrong spelling or the letters are completely in the wrong order from what they were meant to be in my head. So um, the first book I'd done, I paid for an editor to review it. They took probably about two months to go through and do it. They handed it back to me. And even as I was reading it, I'm like, well, that that's wrong and that's wrong. And then 10 pages in, it's like there's six or seven mistakes within this bit that potentially they weren't even there when I sent it to them so they've introduced the wrong words and oh. it was only by me rereading it that I captured it so it's it's finding that right editor and then not just necessarily having one so like we discussed um earlier I've got an editor who goes through and edits it they do several iterations of it and a proofread and then you go off to beta readers who then make sure because the editors are still human they will still miss things or they may they can't see the wood for the trees is the expression so it's always worth having that additional pair of eyes or that kind of four-eye principle to check to, to make sure there's no mistakes in them. Absolutely. And I, I've talked about this before. Um, I, I did a workshop for the local library recently, and I put the videos up on my YouTube channel so that people can uh, watch them if they, they want to. One of them was on self-editing. And what the importance of self-editing is for the author, it's not about getting it perfect. It's about making it as clean as possible. So when you send it to your editor, they can find the right mistakes because if you have nothing but mistakes, you're going to miss a lot. Right. So right. if an editor is looking for specific things and I, I do editing as part of the, the freelance work that I do, mm -hmm. if there are too many mistakes on the page, I'm human. I'm going to miss some of them because I've been so focused on getting everything else. And that means multiple passes in order to get it clean. That's more time. That's more that you end up having to pay to your editor to do that really deep dive into your story. So by going through and self-editing or having a proofreader that can help you figure it out and get it cleaned up before you send it to the editor, you're going to end up getting back a lot cleaner of a manuscript because now the editor can really focus on the important bits. And then also there are different kinds of editors. You have an editor that um, for developmental, they're going to focus on story, not necessarily your grammar and punction, uh, punctuation. They're going to focus on the plot. They're going to focus on the characters. They're going to focus on the setting, the realism, the research, mm -hmm. how you're presenting it. Does it read cleanly? Then you've mm -hmm. got your copy editors. They're the ones that are going to focus on the punctuation, the grammar, and the sentence structure. So you've also got to figure out which editor you need and use them appropriately. 
Yeah, and it's it's rough when you find an editor that you absolutely love and she decides to go out of the business. Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> yes, and finding finding another editor that has of the same caliber and the same wavelength because the wavelength is really important. Yeah, they've mm -hmm. got to get your story too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've had an academic editor going through my fiction work and I can tell now that I'm, you know, been in the business for a while, yeah. I can tell now going back through it going, oh yeah, that technically would be correct, but mm, doesn't yeah. sound right now. Right. You know, so there, there's mm -hmm. different editors for different applications. And Rebecca says, what's a crazy editor rate? I've seen a lot of super high editing rates mm -hmm. and I've seen uh, editors, they break things down depending on what kind of edit you're looking for. Right. Because again, they, they're looking for different focuses. So I usually tell people to, um, to look up editing rates online. Um, there are, I think uh, there's a couple of different societies for editors that usually put, here's what the standard is. Yeah. Now, are you always going to find somebody who goes by the standard? Um, maybe. If you find somebody lower, do your research, find out who they've edited, find out who they've worked with and see if their low rate is just them trying to be as competitive as possible. And if they are great, uh, sometimes yeah. you get what you pay for and a low editing rate could be a sign of an editor that's not really ready to be editing at the level that you need. Yeah. Exactly. Also, because you're in a different country, British English and, and American English are two different <laughs> Englishes. With different rules on, on things too. And that was one of the challenges I particularly had because I wanted my book to have a, a wide reach. So the editor that I've got is an American editor to take out some of the um, the localized English way of wording and, uh, and things like that to make it a broader, broader reach. But that, that does pose its own challenges, as you say, because there's things that they didn't come back from and say, well, it's this or that isn't mm -hmm. how I would do it. And then you have that kind of back and forth to understand where, where those rules are different. And it's also good to have a, a relationship with your editor to be able to, if they leave notes uh, through track changes, they leave notes for you to be able to go, hey, let's talk about this. What does this mean? Why were you suggesting this? This is what I was going for. Um, you know, in dialogue, as an example, dialogue breaks every rule. So you don't edit dialogue the same way you er edit narration. And right. if an editor is trying to stick to the hardcore rules with, uh, with the dialogue, that's going to be something you need to talk about because that's a different type of writing and it doesn't follow the standard format because mm -hmm. it's trying to convey how somebody speaks and we don't speak proper English. Right. <laughs> we don't. Sorry. Oh, for Sorry Margaret's for late to the party, but she's here. Rebecca says, I'm open to taking some editing work. I will be too after August. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my husband just came in. He's been building a deck. Uh, from the neighbor since what 8 a.m this morning oh good <laughs> so, lord yeah, he just came in <laughs> that's why i looked away i was like oh okay <laughs> all right so we talked about editors what other services have you run into so i had a real the the, the video ad that we showed earlier on in this um the initial kind of creator artist i reached out to do a video for me they gave me this video that had different clips in it and different content, different music tracks. And I put it out on you know, different social media sites to bring in some interest. And I had someone message me, it's like, you realize that those images are copyrighted. And I, I trusted the editor or the, the artist that created them and the content was actually all pirated. They'd gone off to different websites and grabbed these different things. So I obviously had to quickly pull it down, delete it, get the, the money back and then reach out to a different artist to create them. So it's it's that kind of thing because obviously I don't want people to perceive that we're stealing other people's content and work. So it's very yeah. difficult to know who you're working with is legitimate. That happens a lot with uh, cover art as well, because yeah. if somebody goes to get cover art created, wherever that cover artist is sourcing the material, unless they're drawing it themselves, mm -hmm. there's usually a license involved in that. And I know for me, when I work on cover art, I use deposit photos and deposit photos license allows me to use the photo and to manipulate it to create something new, which I can then share. It doesn't allow the author getting that book cover to get the original photo and do with it as they please. And so I've had that conversation many times with authors where I'm like, you get the cover, I have to keep the source material because unless you wanna pay for the license yourself, you can't have it. I'm not legally allowed to give it to you. Right. And then there's also limits on each license. 
A standard license, I think, is 500,000 impressions. If you need more than that, and usually people recover their book before that happens anyways, yeah. um, if you need more than that, the extended license is going to cost a different fee. And if the author wants to cover that, then they're either paying that cover artist for the extended license or they're going in and buying the source material themselves and getting the license themselves. But they have to do that. There's there's legal issues behind it that have to be covered. I guess I cheated with that. So as I said, I had a friend of mine actually sit down with pens and pens and, and char. She hand drew all of my covers on a piece of paper. And then we used those paintings to get a digital artist to create the covers that we had purely because you said the licenses and the pitfalls there were just too complex for me to spend the month needed to, to understand that so i kind of a different way around it but i would really suggest if you if you can't create your own is to find someone you say like yourself who, who already has that knowledge and will provide that service to do it for you than trying to do it on your own because it's just not worth the risk right yeah. I mean, I've, I've had a cover artist use fonts that they didn't pay for oh, <laughs> oh yes and, and I another one. Font and I was like, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> so it was, and it was quite expensive to get the font. And I was like, oh man. <laughs> and, and then, then I pointed it out. They're like, well, you're responsible for that. That's what she said to me. You're responsible for getting that. And I'm like, mm, no. <laughs> Where does it say it in our contract? Right. <laughs> Always have a contract too. I yeah. don't care how nice the person is. Contract yeah. protects both parties. Yes, but, exactly. Uh, you're right. Font is one that people do not consider. If it's not right. an open source font, mm -hmm. then you need to get the license to use that font in your yeah. book or on the cover. And right. I, I ran into that issue recently with another client. The cover artist is a, a friend of mine and uh, he made the cover. So I went to him and I was like, I need to know what the font is on the cover because I want to do the interior formatting and make title pages and chapter titles match the, the font that you use. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, this isn't a free font. Okay, tell me what it is so I can go get it. And then that information goes on your copyright page. Mm -hmm. What you got licensed for, where it came from, who did what, always on the copyright page. Cool. <laughs> Sorry, we, we're getting like, this yes. is what we gotta do now, being serious, but it is. It, you know, this is your business, your book is your business and as an indie author you are 100% responsible for your book it doesn't just have your name on it you are tied to every single part of it yeah and Rebecca or, or um, Anita or Rebecca said even if yeah you know, even if it's open source get the license anyway so you can cover your ass yeah and there's a lot of open source out there there's a ton of fonts you just have to do your research and and a lot of times there are font bundles out there that you can purchase that come with the licensing. And a lot of times fonts are not that expensive. And just going to the, you know, the source, go to the creator of it and purchasing a license, you know, it might be 10 bucks, might be 25 bucks, but it's worth it to cover your butt. Yes. Somebody's talking to you. I can see your eyes keep going up. <laughs> I'm, yes, I'm like, hey. <laughs> like, like <four> minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. come in. <laughs> I think we have covered just about everything. This has been a super fast hour. My goodness. It has. It has. I love when we get into like these good conversations. Yes. That's very All good. Right. Well, before we end up signing off, we do have to pay homage to our wonderful second sponsor who is always in the chat, Mistress Rebecca, Dirty Jonesy. Thank you so much for uh, always being there for us and for helping us to uh, get this show off the ground. And if you would like to follow Rebecca Jonesy and her work, definitely check her out on Facebook. She runs a group where she does live chats. I believe it's every Wednesday. One of these days I will actually make it. <sighs> Wednesdays are always a weird day for me. But she reads. She's got uh, live chats just to hang out with her. She's an awesome person. And her newest book just came out. And I need her to send me the cover for it because it's really, really cool. So you will be entertained. Yes, you will be entertained. Woohoo! And, and Jane, <laughs> do we have uh, any any word on this lovely banner you sent me? Well, Dragon Tempest is already out. Dragon Storm will be out in September, and Dragon Dawn is scheduled for December. Wow! So, All right, look at those covers. I'm about 50% done with Dragonstorm. So, oh. yes. 
More to add they, to the TBR file. I'm one of those prolific writers that does the four to five to six books a year. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I envy you being able to do that. And I have a full time job. So, <laughs> outside of writing, <laughs> I don't know how you do that. I, I don't. And, and I write but fairly quickly when I write. write. <laughs> After work, it's like, okay, change focus, do this. <laughs> That's right. Exercise your demons, kill everyone that you didn't kill at work. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, oh, yes. Oh, we've got we got the audience fired up on the, uh, yeah, the issues yeah. with the copyright on images and fonts. I think yeah. every one of us has run into that problem and, and we've mm -hmm. learned our lesson from being burned at least once. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Unfortunately, it happens. But again, if we can educate other indie authors, if we can help you know, be a source of information, then they don't have to make the mistake and they get better. Right. So. Exactly. We all get better as a result of that. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And we can keep on creating. Well, Damien, thank you so much for hanging out with us. This has been a wonderful conversation. And again, your books look amazing. Thank you. Well, yeah, thanks thank for having you. me. And uh, hopefully I'll uh, get to pop back again sometime in the future. Absolutely. Um, you said that the fifth book, or the fourth book, sorry. Oh, uh, so Voyage. That one's supposed to come out later this year. So it's coming out on the 31st of August and that completes what I'm, I'm kind of nicknaming kind of the Rimwood saga. So there's a, a thread that goes across the first three books and that fourth book concludes the whole um, collection of all four books. So it's the wrap up of, of the story that under, underlies all of them. Awesome. Okay. okay, well, we will have to get you back then when we come back in September to talk about this. That sounds good. All right. And for everyone out there, uh, please visit his website and check out his books. And uh, we will be back. I believe we have one more show um, before we go on our break. And it's not next week. It's going to be the week after. And then we're going to take the month of August off and do a little bit of restructuring and come back strong in September. So we will see you guys in two weeks. Mm -hmm. with another author to introduce you to. And Damien, we're going to get you back in September to talk about your latest book. Sounds good. I look forward to it. All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a great weekend. We will see you next time.